when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning. And to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the place because they wanted to be able to eat this Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. But they shouted, Take him away! Take him away! Crucify him! Shall I crucify your king? 
Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them with the undergarment remaining. The garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. century on a hill outside of Jerusalem Jesus Christ of Nazareth died as a criminal on a Roman cross today thousands of years later and on the other side of the world we have gathered together on a day that is known as Good Friday to remember his death. Now, if we're honest, it seems strange that a day like today would be known as good. How could a day devoted to death, especially a violent, unjust death, 
How could that be called good? Are we misguided? Are we mistaken? Are we being morbid? Should we follow the lead of the Germans who call today Sorrowful Friday? The answer is that when it comes to Good Friday, we don't call it good simply because of the fact that Jesus died. We call it good because of the reason that Jesus died. Why he died. Now you might be thinking, why he died? I can tell you why he died. It was because he was flogged and beaten. It was because he had nails driven through his wrists and his ankles. It was because he was slowly suffocating on a wooden cross. It was because he had a spear shoved through his side. That's why he died. But the Bible tells us that the death of Jesus is kind of like an iceberg. There is far more to it than we can see with our eyes. There is something profound happening beneath the surface. In other words, there is an eternal and spiritual significance to the historical and physical death of Jesus. As Jesus Christ was hanging upon that cross, God was at work. God was accomplishing something deep and something profound for us. And we were told what this something is in Isaiah 53. That passage from the Old Testament that we read just a moment ago. Now this passage was written hundreds of years before Jesus even lived. And yet it's written in the past tense to underline the certainty of its promise. Verse 5 of Isaiah 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. When Jesus died on the cross, he received the punishment from God that our sin and our evil deserved. In the words of a a well-known hymn, because the sinless saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. On the cross, Jesus takes our place. He dies the death that we deserve to die for our sin so that we can freely receive the gift of forgiveness that we have not earned. And this is why we remember today as Good Friday. Because Jesus willingly lays down his life for ours in the ultimate act of self-sacrificial love. Now the truth is we are deeply moved by acts of self-sacrificial love. We see them in the books that we read and the movies that we watch. Think about Titanic. Jack gives his life so that Rose can live. The Chronicles of Narnia, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter. We also see it in many real-life examples. For example, this week I heard the story of a 22-year-old American named Robert Cook. 
A few years ago, a Melbourne woman named Kimberly Deer was in the United States. She was with some friends and they decided to go skydiving. But not long after they had taken off in their single-engine plane, they lost power and went into a rapid freefall. Kimberly's instructor, Robert Cook, began to talk to her calmly about what would happen next. He pulled Kimberly close and said, the plane is about to hit the ground. Make sure you're on top of me so that I take the force of the impact. The plane crashed and six people died, including Robert Cook. Kimberly, though badly injured, survived. In the hospital, Kimberly's sister, Tracy, told reporters that she was astonished at the sacrifice of Robert Cook. She said, I would do that for her, but I can't believe that a stranger who just met her would knowingly give up his life for her. There's something within us that deeply resonates with the sacrifice of Robert Cook. And rightly so. It's brave and selfless and heroic. And yet I suspect that for some of us, when we read the story of Jesus' sacrifice, we're perhaps not moved in quite the same way. Now this might be for a number of different reasons. Perhaps it's because we've become so familiar with the story of Jesus' death. Maybe it's because Jesus lived so long ago and he seems removed from us. Or maybe it's because we're not convinced of the need for Jesus' death. The need of Kimberly was obvious and urgent. But are we convinced that our need for Jesus' death is obvious and urgent? John Stott is an author and a Bible commentator. He says, before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. If Good Friday is going to be truly good for us, then we have to be humble enough to admit that the cross was necessary because of our sin. So what's your response to the death of Jesus on the cross? Do you see the cross as something done for you, but also as something done by you? Now the truth is, when it comes to the sacrifice of Jesus, we all feel in a number of different ways. Many of us this morning are probably feeling sorrowful and thankful, because we know the cross was something done by us, but also something done for us. Perhaps some of us are feeling bemused by the death of Jesus. Maybe some of us are feeling pity towards Jesus. Some of us are just feeling frustrated because we got dragged to church today. There's so many different responses to the death of Jesus, which is why it's so important for us to ask ourselves, to really ask ourselves, what is my response to Jesus' death? And what am I going to do about it? We saw a moment ago the response of those who were there on the very first Good Friday. We read from the Gospel of John, which is an account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And what we saw was that Jesus was arrested by the Jews, his own people. They decided that he deserved to die for the crime of blasphemy, for claiming to be the Son of God. But the Jews had a problem. The Romans had invaded their country, and they were now calling the shots. 
And so they didn't have the authority to put Jesus to death. And so they bring Jesus to Pilate, the Roman governor of their region, to convince him to do it. And the response of Pilate shows us an important lesson. You see, when Jesus is brought to Pilate, he asks him a series of questions, which eventually lead Pilate to the conclusion that Jesus is innocent. Three times he says, I find no basis for a charge against this man. He's innocent. Which is why it's so shocking when in verse 16 we read, finally Pilate delivered him, handed him over to be crucified. Why the change? Why did he give in? Why did Pilate condemn Jesus if he knew he was innocent? The simple answer is the pressure of the crowd. Every time Pilate tried to release Jesus, the crowd yelled louder, crucify him, crucify him. And so even though he knew Jesus was innocent, he gives in to the pressure of the crowd and he hands Jesus over to death. He lacks the courage to do what he knows he should. Now the truth is, this is how some of us have responded to Jesus. We've heard about Jesus many times. We've heard about the meaning of Jesus' death many times. We might even be drawn to Jesus. But there's something that is holding us back. Maybe it's the opinion of others. Maybe it's the dent to your reputation. Maybe it's the fear of losing control in your life. Maybe it's the cost of having to give something or someone up. You know who Jesus is. You know what he's done, but you can't bring yourself to bow before him. But if Jesus really was dying for you on the cross, paying for your sin, if he really was giving up everything for you, it means that you can freely give up everything for him. And the Bible says that if you do that, he will actually give you everything in return. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, he said, for whoever wants to save their life, control their life, hold on to their life as their own, they will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Jesus is calling on some of us today to get decisive and to come to him to do what we know we should. But what about the crowd? What can we learn from their response? Well, the crowd are simply identified as the Jews. They are the ones who bring Jesus to be condemned and they are the ones who cry out for him to be crucified. They're also the ones who choose for Barabbas, a thug, a revolutionary, a terrorist, to be released instead of Jesus. Each year at this time during the Passover feast, it was customary for Pilate to release a Jewish prisoner. Now Pilate sees this as an opportunity to release Jesus, but the crowd see this as an opportunity to condemn Jesus. They cry out, no, not him, not Jesus, give us Barabbas. They condemn Jesus to death. In fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, the crowd says to Pilate, his blood be on us and our children. The crowd take responsibility for the death of Jesus. But the fact is, they're not speaking just for themselves, they are speaking for all humanity because the blood of Jesus is on all of us. 
That passage we read from Isaiah, it goes on to say in verse six, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. If we are going to rightly respond to the death of Jesus, we must see that it was our sin that put him on the cross. We must recognize that Jesus' death was something done by us. In the words of that hymn that we sang just a moment ago, Behold the man upon a cross, my guilt upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. The cross was something done by us. What held Jesus to the cross was not the nails, but our sin. Have you recognized this? Have you acknowledged this? This is where salvation begins. But it's not where it ends because deeply and profoundly, while the cross was something done by us, it was also something done for us. What truly and most deeply held Jesus to the cross was love. God's great love for sinners like us. Because on the cross, Jesus was paying the penalty for our sin. This is why the hymn goes on to say, His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. My guilt, my shame, my condemnation, God's wrath against our sin, it is finished. Amazingly, the death of Jesus gives us life with God. And this is why Good Friday is truly good. Because the cross was not just something done by us, it was also something done for us. And this is what we see in the third and final response, the response of Barabbas. Now we're not actually told how Barabbas responds to Jesus' death, but he shows us something incredibly important. Now, as I've mentioned, Barabbas was a criminal. He'd been arrested by the Romans and he was awaiting crucifixion at the time of Jesus' trial. Now, imagine what it might have been like for Barabbas that day. He was probably sitting in his jail cell. He knew that he was to be crucified very soon. Perhaps he heard the crowd gathering outside and he heard them chanting, crucify him, crucify him. And he thinks he hears, among all that noise, his name being called out. And so as the jailer comes, he hears the the clink of the keys as he opens the door to his cell and leads him out in front of this crowd who is incredibly worked up. He's preparing himself for the worst. But then he sees that there's someone else who is facing the crowd with him. And this person has been flogged and beaten. And then he looks at Pilate, and Pilate says to the crowd, should I free Barabbas or should I free Jesus? And to what must have been his utter amazement, the crowd begin to chant, free Barabbas, free Barabbas. And Pilate says, what should I do with Jesus? And the crowd resume their earlier chant, crucify him, crucify him. And we're not told if Barabbas truly understood the significance of this moment. I doubt that he did. But Barabbas gives us a picture of the true meaning of Good Friday. Jesus is to die in his place. 
The innocent one is to be condemned so that the guilty one can go free. And it's the same for you and for me. Jesus is condemned so that we will not be condemned. Jesus was nailed to the cross so that we can go free. Jesus dies so that we can live. And this is why Good Friday is truly good. Because even though the cross is something done by us, it was my sin that held him there. The cross is also something done for us. It was my sin that was being paid for on that cross. Because the sinless saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. So what's your response to the death of Jesus? Can you say he was pierced for my transgressions? He was crushed for my iniquities. The punishment that brought me peace was on him and by his wounds I am healed. There's a story that's often told, and I'll close with this, by the former Archbishop of Paris, Jean-Marie Lustiger. A number of years ago in Orleans in France, there was a, a group of rowdy boys, and they were hanging out in the front of a Catholic church. They noticed a lot of people going inside, and they were going into this wooden box and coming out again, and they were curious about what happened in there. And so they asked someone, and they were told that the priest was hearing confessions. And so the boys came up with a plan to have a little bit of fun. One of the boys would go into the confessional with an outrageous story designed to shock and to fool this old priest. And so one of the young boys volunteered to do it. He went into the confessional with a grin on his face and he started telling this wild, made-up story. The priest pretty quickly caught on to what was happening and so he came up with his own plan. At the end, he invited the boy to go out to the front of the church to stand in front of the huge statue of Jesus on the cross, to look at it and to repeat these words ten times. You did that for me and I don't give a damn. Now amazingly, the boy did what he was asked. He went out, he looked up at the cross and he repeated those words. You did that for me and I don't give a damn. But after the first few repetitions, the words started to come out a little bit differently. You did that for me, and I don't give a damn. Finally, after a few more times, this boy fell to his knees, and the words simply became, you did that for me. Now, when Jean-Marie tells this story, he would finish by saying, I want you to know that this story is true. I was that young boy. Jean-Marie's life was changed forever by that simple act by seeing the death of Jesus as something done by him and something done for him. You did that for me. And I wonder how you would finish that sentence. As you look at the cross of Jesus, you did that for me and dot, dot, dot. Maybe for some of you it is, I don't give a damn. Maybe for others it's, it's I need more time to think about this. Maybe for you, it's I'm worried about what this is going to cost me. I know that for many of us, it's thank you, Lord Jesus. I know what you've done for me, and I give you my life. I give you 
my all. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we have no other response to the death of the Lord Jesus than to simply bow down and offer our life, offer our all. At the cross, we see the depth of your holiness. Our sin had to be paid for. And we see the depth of your love. Our sin was paid for by Jesus. And so we come before you now, Lord, with glad and thankful and worshipful hearts for all that you've done for us in the death of the Lord Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. We're going to respond now by coming to Lord's Supper. Now, Lord's Supper is a visible and tangible reminder of Jesus' death and all that it has accomplished for us. On the night before Jesus went to the cross, on the night before the very first Good Friday, we read, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now on that night, Jesus knew exactly what was coming. He knew that he was going to the cross to die for the sins of the world. I don't think the disciples fully understood the significance of that moment. But now, many years later, we look back and we do. We know why Jesus died. We know why this day is called Good Friday. Because Jesus was paying the penalty for our sin so that we, the guilty, could go free.